Hey team, welcome back to the show. Today, we're gonna be digging into the three reasons your body isn't changing even though you're in the gym constantly. So a lot of the women who start the coaching process with us are frustrated with their prior experiences, trying to take things on their own, basically saying, I just wanna look like someone who works out as much as I do. I feel like I put a ton of time in in the gym. I'm focused on my nutrition. Uh, Maybe I'm already tracking my macros. Most of the clients who start with us are, but I'm still not seeing the physique change. So if this sounds familiar, again, this is something we hear extremely commonly from clients, and this is something we're very good at helping individuals correct. So let's get into the three most common mistakes I see um, and that we correct within our coaching service that are really holding you back from quote unquote, looking like you lift. So The first mistake I see so consistently is just poor exercise selection. So the thing to understand here is if you want to look like you lift, your goal is essentially to build muscle. Now, to build muscle, the muscles we're trying to grow need to experience significant tension. So basically, the muscles you're trying to grow needs to be sufficiently challenged. Now, significant tension is different than um, just like time under tension, right? You hear a lot of people talk about time under tension in when referring to building muscle. Um, and again, of course, that is the tension of the muscle, or that is, again, the total time that the muscle's under tension, but just time under tension, uh, which is one of the biggest things people get wrong, That in itself isn't actually sufficient for muscle growth. We need significant tension, which we'll dig into a little bit more in just a moment. But really the problem is many people focus on the wrong movements for this goal or even like the wrong modality of training. So first, as far as the wrong modality of training goes, you have to understand things like, so, okay, let's say you want to, again, like look like you lift, you look, have like a fit athletic look. So you're doing things like lots of running, biking, or hit classes. The thing to understand is, Let's say you are, um, let's say we're biking or let's say we're doing like a hit class where you're doing like 50 rep body weight squats. Well, yes, your quads are under tension during that time. Again, it's very little real tension. Tension is very much a product of several things. It's a product of the way we're executing a movement. So applying tension to the target tissues that we're trying to train. Um, so execution here is very important, but actually it's also going to be a largely a product of load, right? The actual load that we are lifting. So if you are doing a movement that you can do for 30 plus reps without um, failing, without having to stop the movement due to the fatigue, the tension and the target muscle that we're trying to grow, you're probably not lifting heavy enough weight for the muscle to be significantly challenged or to experience significant tension. But just lifting a heavy load also doesn't equal muscle growth, right? So um, most clients who start with us are focused on resistance training rather than just like, hey, I'm on the Peloton or I'm doing hit classes. That is a great start. But we also need to ensure that tension in said muscles is a limiting factor that causes you to stop the set. So doing lots of movements where the limiting factor is something other than tension and fatigue in the target muscle is going to be much less productive for muscle growth. So to simplify this a little bit further, um, basically to really truly stimulate muscle growth, again, bringing all this back to significant tension, we need to take the target tissue that we're trying to train to the point where it is very near failing, right? But a lot of times just due to poor exercise selection, people struggle to actually get to that point. Thus, it's like, hey, I'm in the gym, I'm doing a lot of, I'm doing lots of reps, I am consistently lifting heavy load and challenging myself, I feel tired, I feel fatigued afterwards, 
but I'm not actually seeing any growth. So some examples of where this comes up. Um, back squats are a great example of this. Now, this isn't to say that back squats are a bad movement. I will anecdotally say, though, for like 90% of the clients that I've worked with, I found for building quads or for building glutes, we can almost always find a better movement. But let's just rock with back squats as an example here. So many people back squat every week, but we have to think about what is the goal of that back squat? What am I trying to accomplish from this, right? And specific to our goals, what muscle tissue or tissues am I trying to build? It'll typically be, okay, I'm either trying to bias more of my quads or I'm trying to bias more of my glutes. Let's rock with the quads example. So many people, like if you're someone who back squats consistently, think about how those sets go. Think about specifically how those sets end. What is it that's causing you to stop the set? At the end of the set, is it oh my gosh, I truly have so much fatigue and tension in my quads that I really couldn't do more than another rep or two before my quads actually fail and kind of give out. That would be great, right? That's kind of the circumstances we want for muscle growth. But more often than not, it is, okay, I'm going, but um, my back is kind of starting to ache, right? I feel like my back is giving out. So that's kind of the limiting factor rather than what we want it to be, being the quads. Or I feel like my form is starting to break down, <laughs> So really within that, if we compare that to something like a hack squat or a leg press, again, these aren't always going to be superior movements, but oftentimes for hypertrophy, they will be. If we again, look at a hack squat first, it is so much less complex than a movement like a back squat. So we don't have to spend a huge amount of time thinking about what is my form like? Am I having a ton of hip shift here? Am I leaning too far forward? It is essentially, Hey, just push your feet here, go to this depth and just push yourself, right? And we're essentially locked in that good technique, that good execution, which is another important variable here, right? On that back squat, again, as I mentioned, significant tension is a product of both load and execution. So when it comes to the execution perspective, with that back squat, as we get deeper and deeper into the set and our quads do really start to fatigue, again, if our goal is to uh, really challenge our quads, your body will naturally start to shift and try to distribute that tension to other, or that resistance, that tension to other muscles in order to be able to continue to move the load. So for example, oftentimes what you'll see as someone gets further and further into a back squat, you start to notice like from the bottom, their hips are shooting up or back more and they're almost leaning forward a bit more is how this will appear. Basically what's going on there is your body is actually shifting some of that load to your glutes. Now your glutes are doing more of the work your quads are doing less of the work. So we're losing some of that tension in our quads. Now there's nothing wrong with it being kind of a combo movement. We're really training your glutes and our quads well, but again, it does make it a little bit harder for us at this point to truly take it to the point where we're actually achieving that stimulus that we need in our quads. It's typically, Hey, my form is kind of starting to slip. My hips are shifting back. And now suddenly like my back is hurting because I have a lot of forward lean here. And again, that's the reason I stopped the set. So again, if we bring that to something that is back to something that is very stable, again, like a hack squat or a leg press on both of those options, we have the back pad, we have a ton of stability. So we're, we're, we're in this position where you can't, your hips literally can't shoot back further. We're essentially, we're essentially locked in this position to where our quads are just going to have to be the thing. As long as we don't have our feet super high up on the platform and we're executing this well, which this is why we're on a side note, this is such a huge part of why we're constantly reviewing form videos with clients. Um, it's something we do different from a lot of coaching services. We're consistently breaking down execution videos to make sure you understand how to set things up to be as efficient as possible within your training because we'll often find you can get a lot more out of less sets, less overall movements than you were doing prior. If we really focus on execution and intensity, which we'll talk about in just a moment and really just picking more effective movements for you. Um, 
Another good example of this is even if we look at like uh, walking, and again, keep in mind, these are all specific to the individual. I do have some clients where like a walking lunge or a dumbbell Bulgarian split squat with a dumbbell on both hands is a great movement. I'm definitely not shitting on those movements. Those are still good options. But for a lot of people, what we'll see is like a movement like a walking lunge at the end of that set, it's not actually like, man, we are so true, close to true failure in my quads or my glutes that I can't keep going. It's like, hey, you're falling all over the place. We're falling side to side. So if that's you, rather if we take that to something like a Smith machine split squat, for example, where there, we're in this fixed path. Um, we have a ton of external stability, so we don't have to focus so much on creating all this internal stability. And again, we can really just load this up and push, and it's much more likely that our quads or our glutes, whatever we're targeting here, will eventually be the limiting factor that fails, and we get that stimulus that we need. Another good example of this is people using very unstable movements. So Think of like a single leg Romanian deadlift. Um, it's a movement that I see pretty commonly performed. Um, so again, we're just doing a Romanian deadlift on a single leg. We're essentially reaching back with that back leg. It is so incredibly rare that someone is balanced enough and really essentially athletic enough with this movement for it to be like, I'm doing a Romanian deadlift on a single leg. And truly like my glutes or my hamstrings are the right limiter. People are falling all over the place when they're doing this movement. And it's eventually like, I, okay, I hit my rep target and I'm pretty annoyed with the fact that my balance is so bad. So I stopped the set. Okay. So we just spent a couple of minutes doing that set, but we didn't actually get much out of it. So to build muscle, which again is the number one goal when we want to look like we lift stability and really focusing on selecting movements that will allow you to maintain good technique and consist for oftentimes like maintain good technique without having to think too hard about it. Those are typically going to be winners, right? So again, a lot of times it'll be movements that do allow for a large degree of external stability. Now, again, there is definitely still application for um, dumbbells, barbells, things of that nature. This isn't all me saying that there's no room for those. But I do find, especially for lower body training, for so many people, it just so quickly be, oftentimes becomes like stability specifically and maintaining good technique is often the rate limiter. So I'll say like these things in my experience hold especially true for lower body training. Again, if we look at that example of like a back squat versus a hack squat or like a um, dumbbell walking lunge, or even like a dumbbell reverse lunge, it can be very, very hard for us to take it to that point where the glutes are truly failing. And it's again, almost always just an issue of stability. Whereas if we go with the Smith machine reverse lunge, or if we go with a leg press, right, we can really just load that tissue up. And again, we're moving in a more fixed path. So it's literally much harder for us to actually deviate from the form that is going to keep tension on those target muscle tissues that we can really actually just push that tissue, that muscle tissue that we're trying to grow to the point where it's very near failure. I think I've said tissue a hundred times already in this Apollo, <laughs> this podcast. So I apologize for that. Um, another common issue here is again, to kind of bring it back to the stability side of things, just doing like single leg movements. So again, uh, um, like a single leg RDL, right? Where our balance is kind of just all over the place. So oftentimes, like if we are attached to, more single leg options, um, adding a hand support can be extremely helpful here. Or also if we don't have something like a Smith machine or a leg press available, if you are training from a home gym, um, adding hand support again can be very helpful. So like 
For a lot of clients, we have training at home. Something like a dumbbell reverse lunge, but rather than loading the weight in both hands, we just have the load, we have a heavy dumbbell on one hand. And then maybe with the other hand, we're holding onto a bench for stability only. Or we could do the same thing with a uh, Bulgarian split squat. Both of those things, again, remove balance as the limiting factor and really allow us to just push that tissue. Grip strength is another very common rate limiter here. Um, this comes up frequently with upper body pulling movements. So rows, pull downs, and even movements. Like again, if we're loading up that Bulgarian split squat extremely heavy, or doing something like a barbell, a trap bar, or even a dumbbell Romanian deadlift. If you just look at the muscles associated with your grip, and then look at the muscles that we're trying to grow with a movement like a Romanian deadlift, your glutes, your hamstrings, these are very, very large muscles. Your grip muscles just aren't that big. Our grip muscles are probably never going to be as strong as our glutes and our hamstrings are unless we train them consistently for years and years, right? And I think that's for most people, that's kind of just a waste of time, right? So the thing is, if we're doing like a heavy set of Romanian deadlifts without any type of grip assistance, it will almost always be your grip is the thing that gives out. Your grip is a limiting factor well before your glutes and hamstrings. So the solution here is pretty simple. Just using something like wrist straps or versa grips make it so much easier for us to make the grip no longer a limiting factor on again our pulling movements or our lower body hinge movements or really any any movement where we're forced to grip and hold a heavy load um, and we're essentially pulling or lifting that load grip grip assistance is just such a helpful tool it's just like such low-hanging fruit that allows you to get so much more out of your training and again, we're constantly sending out wrist straps. I think we send out like five pairs of wrist straps a week to clients because it truly does make such a big difference. So to kind of sum up point number one, exercise selection is such an important part of this. And this is a common thing most people are missing because there is kind of this idea that like, hey, these are the specific movements we need to do if we want to grow. And for most people, it's movements like back squats, um, barbell back squats, barbell overhead press. There's a lot of options there that very much are kind of like in the norm. And then people have typically been taught that like, hey, machines are something we want to avoid a little bit more or they're just not as experienced with it. They haven't seen a lot of other people doing it. Um, so the, the exercise selection is oftentimes one of the biggest things that we shift in with clients because it just makes it so much easier for us to get the stimulus that we want. And then from there, we spend a huge amount of time with clients every week with every check-in that we do breaking down execution videos to make sure, hey, your setup, your range of motion, your tempo, everything here is what it needs to be to optimize your ability to build muscle tissue with this movement. And the machine you're using or whatever it is that we're using is truly the best setup, the best fit for you. Now, mistake number two, which is just as common as mistake number one, if not more common, honestly, is simply not pushing close enough to failure. <laughs> Again, to really stimulate muscle growth, we need to take that tissue that we're trying to train very close to failure. I would really say like two reps or less shy of true failure is where we're going to stimulate the most growth. If we're stopping like a good four to five reps from that, yeah, we're, we're, it'll feel like you're in the gym. You're doing work. And honestly, a set like four to five reps in the tank, four to five RIR will still feel hard. So it'll still feel like I'm training hard, but we're still not actually doing enough to stimulate growth. And again, this is much more common on lower body training than it is for upper body training. So the thing that you have to understand here is failure isn't the point where the movement starts to feel hard or the movement starts to burn. Oftentimes we still have a lot in the tank there. And again, like this is just as much a part of why 
we get forum videos consistently from our clients and same thing with even like for myself i'm constantly recording recording forum videos and sending them to my coach because i need accountability here as well um because this is oftentimes such a big missing piece right uh, typically like our minds want us to stop once it starts to feel hard right it's like okay this is feeling pretty hard this is probably right around failure when uh, this is kind of a <laughs> bear with me on this but like the way i was taught this was think okay gun to my head could I truly not do another rep with good form, right? And that's the point where we failed. And oftentimes I think there's a lot of utility for many clients. We'll use a tool. We'll use AMRAP sets on safe movements. Like I can think of two clients just this last week to where I assigned them, Hey, on your Smith machine, hip thrust, easy movement where it's easy to execute this. Well, I want you to just take this final set to the house. I want you to record it. So basically across um, the goal was for all of our sets before that to be one to two RIR, and then that final set to be to all that failure. And I know one client specifically, it was, okay, um, my first set, which was supposed to be like one to two RIR, I hit 10 reps with this weight. Then that final set, I hit 15 reps. And that's where I truly took it to failure, right? So realistically, that first set wasn't that we thought was like very close to failure, actually was still like five reps in the tank. So actually, we didn't get much stimulus at all from that first set. We still got some, but we're probably not going to build a ton of muscle like that. So really within that just pushing harder you oftentimes have so much more than you expect really those last few reps before failure they should be extremely grindy they should be extremely slow um i've been very intentional about posting like my uh leg press and my pendulum squat sets every week because i also want to consistently use that as an example for clients with like hey these last like four to five reps they really really start to slow down a lot but and it's, it burns, it's not fun, it's not comfortable, but I know I have more in the tank. So really learning how to truly push things to failure, which again, a lot of times we do need accountability for, and that's such that's a big part of why we find form videos so helpful. And again, a big part of why our clients see such good results, it's not just the fat loss side of things, it's because we help people build a lot of muscle. And a big part of that is just the accountability and truly teaching people what hard training looks like. And then the final piece of this is just not fueling yourself properly because nutrition is what allows you to actually recover and grow from your training, right? So building muscle is kind of two part. We first need the stimulus, which comes from proper training. So proper exercise selection and pushing close enough to failure. But then we also need the recovery resources in place to actually recover from that stimulus um, and build new muscle tissue, right? So Oftentimes people are missing kind of both ends of the equation here. So one of the most common culprits of this is just um, chronic dieting, which is so common with clients or oftentimes how this actually comes up is, hey, you're under eating five days a week and then we are maybe overeating two days a week. So we are through the five days of the week where we're typically training, we're in a deficit. So you're under fueled, you're under recovered. So thus we're not building a lot of muscle, but due to your calorie intake on the weekends, we're also not losing fat. So it's kind of like the worst of both worlds. Um, but alongside that, just understanding being in a diet, eating in the calorie deficit, eating fewer calories than we're burning, that in itself is a more catabolic state rate of muscle protein synthesis. So kind of think of building muscle. Imagine we have this brick wall. On one side of this wall, we have this guy named muscle protein synthesis. He is adding bricks to this wall, right? Basically your body turns dietary protein into muscle protein through this process of muscle protein synthesis. If we want to make this extremely simplified. And then on the other side, the other side of this wall, we have this guy named muscle protein breakdown. He's constantly taking bricks away from the wall right now. 
there are a couple of ways we can elevate the rate of muscle. All these, both of these processes are kind of constantly ongoing, but it's kind of like how fast is this guy um, laying bricks relative to how fast is the other dude removing bricks, right? We can do things to elevate most, both muscle protein synthesis and muscle protein breakdown. So one of the most important ways we elevate muscle protein synthesis is actually going to be consuming a decent sized bolus of protein and ideally like us spreading, uh, getting a decent bolus of protein uh, about four times throughout the day spread out by a couple hours each. That'll really allow us to consistently increase the rate of muscle protein synthesis. And at the end of the day, the week, whatever time frame it is to build muscle, we need the rate of muscle protein synthesis to be greater than the rate of muscle protein breakdown, right? So to bring this back to your nutrition again, like just consistently eating protein throughout your day, that is one of the ways we can ensure that rate of muscle protein synthesis or recovery or ability to build muscle tissue was more consistently elevated, but also as a whole, when we were in a deficit, when we were dieting, rate of muscle protein synthesis is going to be more suppressed. Rate of muscle protein breakdown is going to be increased. Now, this isn't, this isn't to say you can't build muscle when you're dieting. You absolutely still can, but it will be a little bit harder. Um, so it's just something to be aware of. And it's a big part of why, like, yes, we see clients see some incredible recoms, but also is a big part of why we're such big proponents of spending time at maintenance or in building phases, because it will be a much more optimal condition to build muscle tissue. But alongside that, another extremely common mistake is we just, we see so many women, I would say the majority of women, oh man, because, and speaking to women here, because we work with almost exclusively women. I would say probably 90% of the clients that I have taken on, that our team has taken on in the last year, they're almost always very type A, very driven women who train early in the morning and they almost always go into the gym fasted. Now, this is an issue again, because we have already been fasting overnight. So rate of muscle protein break or muscle protein synthesis is going to be much lower. Then we're going into uh, our training where we're breaking down a lot of muscle tissue. And almost always what this looks like is like, Hey, I go crush myself in the gym very early in the morning. Maybe I just drink a cup of coffee and I go, which hydration is another important variable here. If we're even a bit dehydrated, that will have a negative impact on our training performance. So ideally we're going to get down at least 20 ounces of water, some sodium of some sort. Um, before we go into that training session. But then it's often like I drink a cup of coffee, I go train, and then maybe I don't actually eat until like noon, right? So we've had a good like six hour. Now it's not like you have to crush a protein shake immediately after your training session, you're gonna lose all your gains. But ideally we will have some nutrients around our training session. And I would also recommend go back and listen to the episode that Brandon and I just recorded, the female fat loss series part one, where we really take a deep dive into what's your peri-workout nutrition should look like specifically for women from a hormonal perspective, from a muscle growth perspective, um, from supporting thyroid. There are so many variables to where we know having proper nutrition pre-workout as well as post-workout, but getting in like some nutrients pre-workout is going to be much more ideal for changing your body composition. If we have some protein, protein in your system, that is going to, again, elevate muscle protein synthesis will be in a much better place to recover. Um, having some carbs in our system going to those training sessions as well will also improve our ability to better perform. And, um, this will also, our, our body will also be able to use those carbs to kind of kickstart the recovery process. Now for individuals who train very early, this oftentimes is like, Hey, can we get some quick digesting carbs and protein? So basically we need those amino acids in your system. Um, 
the amino acids from protein in your system. Can we get those? Can we get something quick digesting? So it could be something like a protein shake, some rice cakes and some honey, or like a protein shake and a piece of fruit. Or it could be even as simple as like, Hey, if you just wake up and you head right to the gym, maybe we're just mixing up some liquid carbs with some whey protein, right? And you're just going to sip that and maybe we're going to like mix this up with 20 ounces of water or so. Ideally we'll struggle like maybe eight to 10 ounces of water before this mix up this drink, start to sip it on your way to the gym. And let's try to finish this by at least like the halfway point of your training session. Or if even that's like too heavy on your stomach, then it could be something like, Hey, maybe we're going to do something like 25 to 40 grams of carbs from a highly branched cyclic dextrin mixed with even like an essential amino acid powder. That's going to essentially be like already digested. Um, almost think of it as like all already digested protein. So thus it is much easier for your body to absorb. Um, and it will be much easier for you to digest. It'll feel a lot lighter on your stomach. Right. But again, it could be as simple as some amino acid powder mixed with like some carb powder. Right. But we want to really focus on properly fueling yourself around your training. Right. Um, and again, very similarly, getting a decent bolus of carbs and protein in that post-workout setting as well. Now, a lot of people talk about peri-workout nutrition and argue its importance, which is interesting to me. I will say like, is this the single most important variable in body composition change? If we're talking to pure beginners, no, your overall calories, your overall macro intake across the course of the day are going to be the most important variables. But from there, the reality is we work with a lot more clients who are intermediate, who have already been doing this thing for a couple of years. They've already been in the gym. They've already been pretty mindful of their nutrition. Um, and to continue to progress past the beginner stage, or again, like that early intermediate stage, it does require us getting more dialed in with these variables. So us optimizing your peri-workout nutrition. So we're in a place where you're performing better, you're recovering better. We're choosing better exercises to stimulate muscle growth. We're pushing closer to failure. All these variables do add up to a huge difference when we compound them over the course of several months. So really those are the three most common mistakes I see that are typically stopping people from creating the physique they want from kind of stopping you from looking like you lift. Now, if you want to apply to work with our team, if you want us to actually guide you through the application of all the principles that we've talked about here, just click the link in the show notes to apply to work with us. We'll hop on a free call, talk through if we both feel like it's a good fit, um, our thoughts as far as the best path for you going ahead. And again, if it's a good match, we'll get started. But that is what I have for y'all for today. As always, thank you for tuning in.